So this is the last week of a big conversation that we've been having. And uh, four weeks ago, we grabbed onto this phrase that comes from ancient Celtic Christian spirituality. The phrase is anamkara, uh, which literally translates to something like soul friend. Uh, but really, we're, we're talking about like deep frequency connection between us and other people, right? We're talking about the art of spiritual friendship, about uh, whether it's your spouse or a few close people in your life. We're talking about that, that hunger, that aching need that we all have for deep belonging and connection with a few other people. We're talking about where that need comes from and how we move toward it and what stands in the way of it and what's at stake in it. We're talking about spiritual friendship. And today we're going to wrap that up with one more big idea. But let me remind you uh, where we've been. Uh, we talked about um, the possibility that sacrifice is essential for that kind of connection with one another. And so when Jesus says things like, uh, greater love has no one than this, that you lay down your life for your friends, and then he goes and does exactly that, that taking Jesus seriously means taking sacrifice seriously. And that maybe that kind of deep connection that we long for with one another is waiting on the other side of some kind of sacrifice, laying something down for one another. Uh, we've talked about showing up, uh, which can be itself a, a kind of sacrifice, about actually being present with one another, about actually showing up for one another. We've talked about the possibility that that deep connection we want with one another requires us to live at deep frequencies in our own life, which can be really challenging because it tends to be that in the deep frequencies of our lives is where we find uh, wounds, fears, difficult histories, anxieties about the future. It's like where our demons lie in the deep frequencies, right? Uh, and so often in our own lives, we like to live in the shallows of our lives, the shallow waters, the shallow frequencies, the treble uh, level, uh, because it's easier up there, right? But then we wonder why we can't meet other people in a deep frequency, have a deep connection. And it may be that shallow lives make it hard to meet one another in deep frequencies. So some of that inner work that we all avoid might actually help us find one another in the deep frequencies. Um, whatever you need to confront, whatever you need to face, whatever fears are lurking there, whatever counselor you need to call to, to work some stuff out, uh, whatever that is, um, that inner work might lead us toward one another in a deeper way. We've also talked about the possibility that moving toward um, the deep frequencies of God or a deeper awareness of God or God's presence can also help us meet one another in deep places. Uh, and finally, last week, we talked about boundaries. And it was really important that we talk about boundaries last week before we talk about what we're going to talk about today, and I'll explain in a bit. Um, we said uh, in one of those sermons uh, that there's a name for the deep frequency. And I used lots of words and all of my preaching to get us to a really basic word that I was afraid if I used it early, we would take it at a, at a superficial treble kind of level. And so we spent a lot of time that day working our way to name that deep frequency and to, to recognize that its name is love. And we did all that work because like, it's easy to make that word cheap. It's easy to interact with that word at the level of like a middle school holding hands in the hallway relationship. No offense to the middle schoolers, you'll understand later. But like, I'm talking about not like um, shallow affection or the way that we love easy things. I'm talking about deep, soulful, harrowing, heartbreaking, open your, your rib cage up love. I'm talking about lay down your life love, but that that's actually the name of the deep frequency. Now today I want to suggest that if love is, is the name of the deep frequency, maybe love is its first name, and maybe it has a middle name. <laughs> if love is the name of the deep frequency, I want to suggest that there's another name that goes along with that. Uh, Henry Nouwen, a, a beloved priest and writer, says it like this. 
Forgiveness is the name of love practiced among people who love poorly. The hard truth is that all people love poorly. We need to forgive and be forgiven every day, every hour increasingly. That is the great work of love among the fellowship of the weak that is the human family. If love is the deep name of the deep frequency that we want between us, I would argue forgiveness is its middle name. Today we want to talk about forgiveness. Now maybe you're thinking, this is great. I have no grudges. I'm resolved in all my relationships. I'm going to start working on my grilling recipes for the cookout this afternoon on my smartphone. You're welcome to do that. Like no, no hard feelings if that's what you do for the next 40 minutes. But I want to suggest that forgiveness is a more uh, essential sort of uh, modality for all of us than we realize. For example, when you look back on the history of your life and you think about the deep frequency connections that you've experienced, do you recognize a pattern of false starts? And what I mean by that is like when you look back through your life, have you had moments where you thought, now I've, I've found a deep frequency connection with someone. We just sort of hit it off. We're on the same wavelength. I feel like this person gets me. I feel like I can open up my life to them. And then uh, a day later, a week later, later, a year later, because you have made yourself vulnerable, it's actually in that vulnerable place that they hurt you, they failed you, and so you moved on. And then there was another person or another group of people, another clique of friends, another community that you thought you could be a part of. You feel like they get me, we're on the same frequency, and then they hurt you, and then you move on. And pretty soon you just see sort of this, this litany, this pattern of discarded relationships. Now, by the way, it's not always a bad thing to move on from friends. It's not always a sign of unhealth. So the fact that there have been friendships that ended doesn't necessarily mean that you have a problem with forgiveness, but it might. <laughs> It might be that we don't know what to do when we run into the hard things between us, and so we keep moving on and starting over. Or your marriage. Maybe there is a, a moment in your past when you first found one another, and you experienced this deep frequency connection, and you don't know where that went. Now, there could be lots of reasons for that. I mean, we don't have, this isn't like a marriage series. This isn't a marriage sermon. But is it possible that one of the reasons that you've lost that deep frequency connection with your spouse is that time and time again, when you, when you made yourself vulnerable in that place, you got hurt. And at some point, you're smart enough to just say, I'm just, I'm just done trusting. And so I'm just gonna like disconnect from that deep place between us. Maybe forgiveness is a more important modality than we realize for all of these deep frequency relationships. So we wanna talk about forgiveness today. Now, um, what I really wanna do is I wanna get to something in the scriptures that I think will help us move toward forgiveness. But before I get there, I wanna just clarify a few things about what I'm talking about and what I'm not talking about, okay? This is really important because the waters get really muddy when it comes to relationships and forgiveness. So let me just hit a few of these things really quick before we move into the big idea, okay? First big thing I wanna clarify. When I describe forgiveness, I am not describing something that requires anything of the other party. Any movement in your life or heart that requires something of the other party is not what I mean by forgiveness. Now, this is really good news because if you're having a hard time forgiving, if you've been hurt and your heart is tied up in knots, it would be a terrible world if the only way your knots can get undone is if somebody else does something in their power to fix it, right? That's actually a disempowering reality if that's the case. I don't think it's the case. I don't think we need anybody else to do anything else for us to forgive them, and that's actually really good news. That's the first big thing I want to lay down. Secondly, when I talk about forgiveness, I am not talking about trust, and I'm not talking about reconciliation. 
Because forgiveness is something that doesn't require anything of the other party, but trust and reconciliation do. This is why it was important to me that we talk about boundaries last week before we get here. It's not a bad thing to have boundaries. Sometimes really healthy boundaries are compatible with forgiveness. Sometimes not trusting an unsafe person in your life is compatible with forgiveness. Sometimes not reconciling because they're not willing to do their part to meet you in reconciliation is compatible with forgiveness. These are separate things, okay? Uh, another clarification, forgiveness doesn't minimize the offense. Forgiveness is not you saying it's no big deal. Forgiveness is not you pretending you weren't hurt. Forgiveness is not acting like an injustice was just. Forgiveness doesn't minimize the offense. In fact, it names it. The very fact that you have something to forgive suggests that something wrong has happened, some offense has happened. Forgiveness um, doesn't minimize the offense, it names it on the way to releasing it, okay? A uh, couple more. Um, the, forgiveness is both a decision and a process. And you may have decided to forgive, but you may still have a process to work through in your heart, that's okay. Or you might be in the process of moving toward forgiveness, but you haven't been able to like make that move yet, that's okay. More on the process in a minute. Um, also, when somebody like me stands on a stage like this and talks about forgiveness, it's important to recognize that there are communities and companies and families where a person with some kind of positional or relational power has used that power to hurt or abuse somebody who didn't have as much power. When you have an abuser and a victim and the victim names the wrong thing that happened and the power in that community says, no, no, don't bring that up, you need to forgive them. Something has gone sideways in that exchange. When a community uses its power to tell a victim that you cannot name the way a powerful person hurt you, abused you, harassed you, because you need to forgive them, we have confused forgiveness with something else. That's a whole big can of worms that we should probably unpack at another time. We have issues of systemic injustice, of what you deal with real and violent wrong in the world. That, that, like, there's a lot there that we need to work out. I'm not able to get there today, but I just wanna say that if forgiveness is spoken of like that, if the mandate of forgiveness is used to shut up a victim, somewhere in there something has gone terribly wrong that's not what I'm talking about. And then lastly this, uh, forgiveness I think is never, never just about you and them. I think it's always about you and everyone. I don't think it's just about you and them. I think it's always about you and everyone. Uh, an example from my life, one of the little ways this plays out. Not long ago, uh, a friend of mine, I thought, had done great wrong by me. Not just a wrong, but like a pattern of wrongs. And it was one of these like heard through the grapevine things that I thought this person was doing something and saying something that was really out of line. And uh, first of all, the, the first dumb thing that I did is I didn't just talk to them about it. I just like fumed about it and got really mad about it on my own with my interpretation of the rumors of the events that I was hearing about from other people. So that was the first mistake that I made. But then the next thing I did is I go to a mutual friend, an innocent bystander, a third party on the sidelines, and I try to drag them into the conflict and get them on my side. I want them to commiserate with me and sympathize with me and condemn the other person and like see my side of everything. And that idiot refuses to do it. Can you believe that? So this jerk of a friend of mine refuses to take a side in my dysfunctional conflict with another friend, and I start getting mad at this other friend who had nothing to do with any of it, and pretty soon I'm realizing that my inability to forgive this one friend is bleeding out into everything else in my life. 
Who you are part of the time is who you are all of the time. You might be able to hide it or cloak it, but ultimately who you are part of the time is who you are all the time. Who you are with some people will ultimately be who you are with everyone. These are just facts of the human psyche at a deep level. So it's never just about you and them. It's actually about you and everyone. It's, it's actually about what's going on in the deep frequency of your life. And if we are harboring unforgiveness, it will bleed out. It will show up in other ways and other places. So uh, those are just some baseline uh, principles before we get to the big idea. To get to the big idea, I want to ask, what do you do if you theoretically grasp the importance of forgiveness, but you just can't get there? What do you, if you do if you, you just can't locate that switch in your heart? <laughs> you know? You're, uh, you may not have voodoo dolls at home, but the honest truth is that there is somebody in the world, and when something goes right for them, it's hard for you. And when something goes wrong for them, it, it tastes kind of good to you. <laughs> It's like candy, it, it tastes good, but it's not good for you, right? What do you do like when you, you don't know how to let go of the hurt, the grudge, when it seems like the raw materials of forgiveness are not in you, so how can you come up with it? That's what I wanna dig into today, because I think um, there's actually a real help for us, and I find it in the scriptures, like in Matthew 18. So we're gonna do a little Bible work, you guys ready? Come on, 11.45. You had more time to drink coffee than anybody else today. Uh, let's jump in. This is Matthew chapter 18. This is Jesus and his friend Peter. Uh, Peter came to Jesus and, and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, for the record, this is Peter Brown nosing. <laughs> this, is, this is really obnoxious, Peter. At the time and in this place, there's a known standard among these people that three is the right number of times. That's like a known, articulated standard at this time and place. So when Peter lofts up this ideal of seven, he's just screaming, like, look at me. Aren't I fantastic, Jesus? Really obnoxious, I know. But here's how Jesus responds. I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now here's what's interesting about that moment. 77 times or 70 times 70. It's, when you're in the Greek, the way numbers work out, there's a couple of different ways you can go with it. But Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And there's some place else in the scriptures where that exact phrase, 77 times, is used. It's a throwback all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. And this is fascinating. So let me just sort of summarize what's going on back there and bring you back here. Genesis chapter 4, by the way, our community loves Genesis because we really think if you get the, the primordial sort of, sort of big ideas of Genesis right, you have a greater likelihood of getting the rest of the story right. Um, and so in Genesis 4, we've had Adam and Eve, and then Adam and Eve had these sons, Cain and Abel, and things didn't go very well there. And then Cain has a great, great, great grandson named Lamech. And Lamech is walking around outside one day, and somebody comes against him and injures him. So he kills the person who injured him. You already sense the escalation. You injure me, I'm going to kill you. And then he declares, he says, if anybody comes against me because I killed this person, I will be avenged 77 times. We are five generations into the poetic history of the world, five generations in, and we see this exponential increase in vengeance and violence. The story is snowballing toward greater and greater brokenness and division and grudge holding, right? So you have that sort of backdrop. That's one of the currents in the world. 
And then Jesus speaks and says, not seven, but 77 times, he says there is another current in the world which is exponentially bringing grace and healing with it. He's like, he's grabbing that big idea and he flips it upside down and he says there's another current that I'm describing to you. And then he goes further in describing it. He says this, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now, uh, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus often speaks of the kingdom of heaven. In another gospel, uh, the way it's written, the language is the kingdom of God. But wherever you see Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, there's a lot going on there. He's saying, first of all, this is what God is like. He said, I want to give you a glimpse into the very nature of God. He's saying, this is what the world looks like anywhere it looks the way God wants it to look. If you look around and you wonder, does God want things to be this way? He's saying, let me give you a picture of what things look like when things are the way God wants them to be. He's saying, this is what a human life looks like when that life is surrendered to the kingdom of God, when that life is opened up to the presence of God. There's lots going on here. He's saying, this is what ultimate reality is because if there's anything that's ultimately real, Surely that in some way is synonymous with God, because if it's ultimately real, it has to be in God, and if it's in God, it has to be ultimately real. Does that make sense? So we are talking about the nature of God and ultimate reality and the kind of world that we are invited to create with God and the kind of lives that we might live if we open up to God. There's lots going on there. And he says, let me tell you what all of that is like. It's like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, which in the Greek is 10,000 talents, which is an astronomical sum of money that if you can convert day's wages then to day's wages now, we're talking about something like $10 billion. So this person has a $10 billion debt. This is an absurdity. When Jesus uses absurdities in the parables, it, it tells me he's go, trying to go transrational. He's not trying to work with your equations. He's trying to destroy your equations and invite you into a whole new kind of imagination. So he says this is this unimaginable kind of debt, 10,000 bags of gold or $10 billion. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And now you're thinking, is that what God is like? Is that what ultimate reality is like? I hope not. Here's the thing. First century Palestine, this time and place, this is what everybody else is like. In this time and place, if somebody owes a debt, you can throw them in jail. If somebody owes them a debt, owes you a debt, you can enslave them. That's the way things already are. Right now, Jesus is intercepting the status quo, and he's saying the master's going to do something with the status quo. Watch what happens next. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. What is God like? What is ultimate reality? And when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on the fellow servant just as I had on you? 
In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, we can bring a transactional assumption to this, and we can derive an equation from it. You get what you deserve. I don't know. I mean, that, that could be a level that you interact with this on. I'm not sure the text ever told us to bring a transactional assumption to this parable. I think this parable is trying to awaken our imaginations to talk to us about what is ultimately real. Jesus says, what is the kingdom of heaven like? What is God like? What is ultimate reality like? Well, let me tell you a story that looks a lot like the ugly world that we have created, where debts are called in, and then let me tell you about the ultimate disruption of that cause and effect, of ultimate grace. It's like Jesus is saying, forgiveness is not an exception to the character of God. Forgiveness is central to the character of God. It's not God on a good day. It's God every day. Maybe you feel like forgiveness is asking me to like live apart from reality, like it's naive. I'm saying forgiveness is not a suspension of reality. Forgiveness is ultimate reality at its greatest depth. If forgiveness is intrinsic to the character of God, then forgiveness is not us suspending reality or trying to avoid reality or being naive about reality. Forgiveness is us opening up to the fullness of what is actually real. Now, maybe you think, I don't know, it's one parable. What about all the bad stuff in the Bible? I will grant there are difficult things, and we'll spend the rest of our lives as a community working out some of the difficult things in this text. Uh, but let me show you, for example, uh, in the Psalms. This is way before Jesus. This is generations before Jesus. The Hebrew Scriptures speak of God, and they talk like this in Psalm 103, verse 7. God made known his ways to Moses. Listen to that. He made known his ways. God revealed his nature. God opened up the black box on what he is like and showed Moses, and this is what was shown. His deeds to the people of Israel, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Let me say it again. Forgiveness is not an exception to the character of God. Forgiveness is central to the character of God. Forgiveness is not a suspension of reality. Forgiveness is ultimate reality at its deepest truth. There's a, there's a rabbinic story, a commentary that the, the rabbis offer, and it goes something like this. That before God created the world, before God unleashed all of this potential and set all of this into motion, he considered the future that waited for, for the world if he decided to create it. And when he saw that future, he saw beauty and depth. He saw um, the cities that we would build in deserts. He saw the symphonies that we would create. He saw the families that would be born, the lives that we would live, the brave and beautiful things that we would do in the world. And he saw the war that we would bring to the world, the havoc that we would wreak, that we would lie to one another and hurt one another on personal and systemic levels, that we would break things in a million different ways. And before he did any of this creating, he looked ahead and he was faced with a conundrum, a dilemma of sorts. He said, if, if I set loose into the world all of this potential and things sometimes go that badly and I am to be just, 
he says to himself, will I create the world only to destroy it in judgment, only to wreck it in vengeance against the injustice that these people will create? And then the, the rabbi says, so God decided before he created that he would forgive. Before he created that he would forgive. Uh, a, a theologian named Miroslav Wolf, uh, by the way, I recommend you read everything he's ever written. Miroslav Wolf uh, is at Yale, and uh, he gives commentary on this commentary. He says this. The apostle Peter wrote that Christ was destined as God's lamb before the foundation of the world. Building on statements like these, some theologians have suggested that the world was created so that it would be redeemed and finally glorified. Redemption, they maintain, was not a solution God thought up after human beings botched up God's first attempt. Instead, it was the purpose of creation. This next sentence I love, and it's why I trust him as a theologian. He says, this may or may not be right. <laughs> But it does seem that God decided to redeem the world of sin before the creator could lay down its foundations. Each of us exists because the gift of life rests on the gift of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not an exception to the character of God. It is central to the character of God. Forgiveness is not a suspension of reality. It is ultimate reality at its greatest depth. And I share this because if you recognize there is something for you to forgive in your life, if there's something that you are having a hard time letting go of, and you look within you, and you see none of the raw materials of forgiveness, you don't find the strength within you, you don't find the energy, you don't find the willingness, you say, I don't have within me what it takes to forgive someone, the good news is you don't have to come up with it on our own. Like, if forgiveness is central to God, if forgiveness is ultimate reality at its greatest depth, then you don't have to invent it, you just have to tap into it. If forgiveness is already woven into the deep frequencies of reality, then you don't have to make the music. You just have to hear it and learn how to dance with it. And so what I want to offer for us as a community today is a couple of practices that might help us hear that deep music. You don't have to come up with it on your own. You don't have to generate it from scratch. You simply have to learn how to sort of move with the current of forgiveness that is already moving in the world. So, um, so that's what we want to do today, uh, through the table and through uh, some other sort of practice, and that's what I want to lead us into now. Um, so we're going to do a little bit of reflection, a little bit of prayer, and we're going to come to the table. Um, as always, like nobody's ever coerced to do any of this kind of stuff, so like I said before, if at this point you want to just start paying your bills, that's fine. <laughs> like if, if you got some, some to-do list items you want to work on, that's okay. Um, but if you want to, I just want to create some space for us to move through some reflections and some prayers on our way to the table. Uh, and it, it's not necessarily my expectation that like the roof will get lifted off and that you know, Mount Everest will tremble within your heart and you'll be a whole new person in five minutes. Um, but it's these sort of movements that help us keep working out the knots in our hearts and practice the sort of uh, dancing to the deep music that we wanna do as a community. So um, let me explain a little bit of what we're gonna do and then we'll kind of move through it. There's cards on your seat. Uh, we're going to use those in a little bit, and I'll tell you right now, whatever you write on your card, if you want to write something on your card, don't worry, nobody else is going to read it. When you're done with them, we're just going to throw them away. So, um, so there's that. Uh, but I'm going to lead us through a bit of some guided reflection and uh, some prayer, and then I'll invite us to the table, and then uh, the cards will be a part of that in a moment, if you like. Um, but now, let's, let's sort of jump in. Uh, if you want, 
to be a part of this. It might help to just kind of close your eyes, uh, breathe deep. Sometimes I like to put my feet flat on the floor. Sometimes I like to open my hands uh, sort of in a way of reflecting the posture that I want for my heart or my mind. And uh, now if you want to join me, I'll simply uh, lead us into a prayer and then some reflective thoughts together. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to trust Jesus who says, this is what you are really like. That the kingdom of heaven, that God, that ultimate reality is like a king who forgave an absurd, insurmountable debt. Even though that wasn't how things usually go, even though we all had a different expectation, even though we expected karma, we found grace. I pray that you would help us to trust the words of Jesus and now lead us as we reflect. Now church, let me ask you, uh, as you continue to reflect or, or pray, is there anywhere that you haven't lived up? We don't ask it to shame ourselves or berate ourselves. Uh, we simply ask it to name the truth so that we can learn to swim in the deep currents, to hear the deep frequencies. Is there anywhere lately, anywhere particular that you haven't lived up? Is there anyone in your life that you haven't lived up for? Maybe somebody who meets you in the deep frequencies, but there's been some hurt there. Maybe you needed to show up and you didn't. Maybe you hit back one time because you were angry or scared. Is there anywhere that you have not lived up? Is there some moment far in the past? Maybe it's with somebody who's not even a part of your life today. Or maybe it's a pattern that's really difficult for you to break out of right now. And as you hold that in your mind, hear these words. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Forgiveness is not an exception to the character of God. It is central to the character of God. It's not God on a good day, it's God every day. It's God's posture toward you.
And now as we sort of dwell at the deep frequencies of our own hearts for a moment, I wonder if you're painfully aware that there's somebody you need to forgive. Uh, maybe it's a name or a face that comes to mind. Maybe it's somebody from your past. They're not, they're not even in your life anymore, but you still hold on to that grudge, that hurt. And this isn't about diminishing what they did. And yet it has your heart tied up in knots. Maybe it's somebody who's in your life every day. You walk together, but you're guarded because of some moment when they failed you in the past. Maybe it's helpful to not just name the person, but to think of an incident or a pattern or that thing that happened that you have not let go of. In a moment, we'll come to the table and the invitation will be to write down on the card the name or the, the wound or the moment and to bring it forward and to first receive the generosity of God at the table. Maybe in that moment to hear a little more of the deep frequency of forgiveness that has always been playing. And then after you receive from the table to leave that card on the table. Maybe this is your way of saying I am forgiving this person, or maybe it's your way of saying, I still have no idea how to do that, but I want to learn. Maybe it's simply your way of saying, I know that this wound has my heart tied up in knots, and I don't know how to undo those knots yet, but I want to learn. I want to learn to dance with the deep music of forgiveness. And so something about maybe writing it down and leaving it to the table will help us embody this practice that we believe. So let me give you a moment now. Uh, if you want to write on those cards, we'll just sort of take a moment to do that. And while you write, I'll invite those who are going to serve you for communion to come forward to the stage. Um, so as they come forward, just take a moment. If you'd like, you can write something down on those cards. Let me remind you now that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And I think he knew that when his body would actually be broken, that he would utter these words on his lips. He would say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But when the deepest mysteries of the heart of the universe were revealed, they were revealed to be forgiving that he took a cup with his friends and he said, this is the cup of a new covenant, of a promise, that the faithfulness of my forgiveness cannot be exhausted, that no matter how insurmountable your debts are, there is a deeper reality of grace ready to meet them. Karma is not the law of the universe. The faithful forgiveness of God is.
And he said, take this cup and remember me whenever you come to it. So God, I pray that these would be for us today, the body and blood of Jesus. That you would meet us in the bread and the cup. That you would help us to sense the deep frequencies of forgiveness that have always been reverberating in the world. That we would discover that we are not on our own to learn to forgive. That the wounds that we carry are not minimized or insignificant. But that in spite of them, and in them, we, you are meeting us with your grace. You are slowly undoing those knots in our hearts. And as you forgive us, you are teaching us to forgive. So we thank you for the table and pray through Christ. Amen. It's the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. It's the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. The body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. The body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. We'll let these guys uh, head to those corners. And then once they're in place, uh, you're welcome to come to the table. And if you'd like, you can bring your card with you. And then after you receive the bread and come to the cup, you can kind of walk around them and just drop it on the table. Like I said, we're just going to throw them out afterwards. We're not going to read them. It's just between you and, and God. Um, but now as you'd like, you're welcome to get up and come to the table.